Well, Father, we thank you as best the carol comes, Father. You have placed the word within our heart. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We receive that word right now. In Jesus' name. We allow that word, Lord, to go forth. As you said, Father God, that my words shall not come back before me void or useless, but it will prosper in the thing for which I have sent it. In Jesus' name, Lord God, that you watch over your word and you hasten to perform it in Jesus' name. So we bless you, Father, for the word that you've placed within our hearts, that we are ready to receive, Father, in Jesus' name. People of God, say. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. You may be seated. Before we start, I want you to listen to a um, short video. This is just going to be a reminder of who, whose we serve and whom we are, who we belong to. So go ahead, guys. Thank you, praise and worship team. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah, he is our righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's way. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crying, Revive thy works in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the rock of all deserving. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one, giving victory. In Galatians, he is your liberty. He set you free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your completeness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is your hope. In First Timothy, he is your faith. In Second Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. In James, he is the power behind your faith. In 1 Peter, he is your example. In 2 Peter, he is your purity. In 1 John, he is your life. In 2 John, he is your pattern. In 3 John, he is your motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of your faith. In Revelation, he is your coming king. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation, the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. 
unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and he's pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him and the leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. And Oprah can't explain him away. He is life, love, longevity, and more. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord. He rules my life. without cue cards noticed that came out of his spirit yeah out of the mouth of babes so powerful yeah holy ghost just flowing in our youth my god and if that doesn't stir you with a remembrance of who's in you and whom we serve maybe we need to play it again that was awesome i'll tell you what that that'll raise the dead that'll get you off your sick bed That'll throw your crutches down and say, I'm going to walk. <laughs> That'll open the blind eyes. That'll make the deaf hear. That, that will raise you up out of, your, out of depression, out of oppression. That'll break the bondage of, and the yoke of the enemy over your life. The Word of God, Jesus Christ, in whom we serve. Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! Woo! <laughs> oh, he's good. He's good. He's good. And that was just a, a little refresher, a little hors d'oeuvre, but so powerful, so powerful, so mighty. Yeah, I love that. A um, long time ago, we had some sheets passed out into all of the books of the Bible, who Christ is, who Jesus is. Lambert this morning touched on it a little bit when he was talking about the different books in the Bible. But I love that, though. When I, when I seen this, I thought, my goodness, this, this should be played on Super Bowl interm uh, intermissions. Not, not, not having some swimsuit model on there, not showing some of the latest beer or Budweiser, or showing some rainbow gay flag, all these things of the world. You put something like that on, and it'll get people saved. It'll get people healed. And then people will they'll drop their beer cans, and they'll say, what must I do to be saved? Tell me more about this Jesus. That ought to be played on intermission. Yeah, amen. And I'm so glad we see a lot of you men here today because I thought the church would be full of, uh, mostly full of women because of what today is. But we won't even mention that because, um, yeah, it's a sports day. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you respond well, 
And if you respond well to the Holy Spirit, I'll let you out early. How's that? How about that? If not, going to keep you here till three. And you'll miss the whole game. No, you won't. No, no, just joking. No, just joking. Well, God is good. He's good to me. He's been good to me. I know he's been good to you because you're here and your heart is beating and you're alive and you can raise your hands and walk and you can, uh, and, and you can bless the Lord with your tithes and your offerings. He's good. He's so good. And we get to spend eternity with him and he's coming back for his bride. Oh, so, so in preparation... So today's message is going to be in preparation for that. He can make a perfect heart. Hallelujah. He can make a perfect heart. Turn to Psalm 101, verse 2. I'm reading out of the Amplified. <clears throat> Psalm 101, verse 2. I'm so stirred up by that video. Goodness, I've <laughs> run through a troop and leap over a wall. Psalm 101, verse 2, he can make a perfect heart. I will behave wisely and follow the way of integrity. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house in integrity and with a blameless heart. One translation says, with a perfect heart. Now, when it talks about walk in my house, that means the, the house of God, the church, the sanctuary, Zion. In this scripture, in Psalm 101, it talks about three types of the heart. As you read down in verse 2, we just read a perfect heart, a blameless heart. As you go further down to verse 4, it talks about a perverse heart. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not tolerate evil. Then as you go down to verse 5, it says, The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. So that's three types of heart that this scripture is referring to. A perfect heart, a blameless heart, a proud heart, and a perverse heart. A heart perfect toward God is a person who's devoted himself with integrity to God's ways. Serving God with a perfect heart requires you to do... Now, now don't, don't get thrown off by perfect. You may say, well, who can have a perfect heart? Doesn't the Bible say that the heart is deceitfully wicked and uh, always devising things? Uh, but it's talking about a blameless heart, a pure heart. David had a perfect heart, a blameless heart. Well, how can he, doesn't mean he didn't miss it, didn't mean he didn't sin and, and have failure. Of course he did. But his heart, his, he was so contrite, he was repentative, and he had a heart after the Lord, a heart after God. That's what the scripture says. So we can have that same kind of heart. So serving God with a perfect heart requires you to do right when you've been wronged. That's, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? To do right when you've been wronged. You really got to be walking in the spirit in order to accomplish that. You have to do right 
when it doesn't make sense. Do right, even when you feel unappreciated. Man, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, the teachers, sometimes even in the church, you may feel, I feel unappreciated. I feel used. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer, God use me? <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. And then you get used and you're like, I, I feel used. <laughs> well, yeah. God used you. God is using you. Yeah. But to do right in these things, doing right, even if it requires you making sacrifices. Yeah. The best way to have a perfect heart is to give your old broken heart to God. The heart that you have right now, giving your heart totally to God, enables him to fill your heart with his desires. We can start right there with just giving him our broken heart. I'm not talking about before saved. I understand we're all saved. We're all born again. But the heart, we've heard this time and time again, the heart is everything to God. It means everything to him. You know people, and sometimes when they act out of, out of sorts, or, um, but you know them differently, and somebody may question them, and you may say, oh, but I, I know her heart. She's not like that. I, I know his heart. Yeah, because we know the inner, the inner man, the inside of them. And when you have a heart to please him, God will put his desires on the inside of your heart. How many of you have heart desires changed since you became born again? From the time that you got saved up until now. Remember when you first got saved, you had a lot of desires. You had aspirations, you had some goals, you had things you wanted to achieve and attain. Take those desires from back then and look at your desires now of your heart. I find most of my desires, for instance, too, even too when you go before God and make a petition on your birthday, you have the right to go before your Heavenly Father and, and make your petition and say, Father, for my birthday, I desire this. And I found in my own heart, my desires and petitions all line up with what he wants. You know, it's not so much materialism or, or things like that in the world, but it's for other salvation. It all has to do with the kingdom business, the kingdom of God. And I know that God put those desires in my heart. Amen. Yeah, or else, you know, if I was still in the world, I'd be praying for other material things, worldly things, things that moths and insects and, and will, will devour. They'll just disintegrate. But when God puts those desires in your heart, you don't even know it, though, but they're there. And you, you take ownership of them, and you long for them. And you say, yes, I, I want this more than anything, Lord. It's because he's placed that uh, in you, in your heart, a perfect, a perfect heart. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as in water... A face reflects a face. You look in a pool of water, a pond, you can see the reflection of your face, right? So that is the same with the heart of man. The, it reflects the man. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects 
the real person, the true person, the real, the real you. Remember that TV show where they had three individuals and, they, and you had to guess their profession and you can ask them all kinds of questions and they would say, will the real so-and-so please stand up? You know, whether it was a doctor or engineer or whatever, and, you know, and they would try to fool you, you know, dress them up and, and, you know, one dressed like a hobo, one looked like a doctor. And, you know, I liked that show and I, I always was wrong, you know, I was wrong with guessing the character. And then finally, when the real person showed up, he was like, well, I never would have guessed. But unlike the outward exterior, God looks at the heart, always, always looks at the heart. He even looks at the motives of the heart. What made her do that? What made him say that and react the way he said that? You know? Even though you, you, you may have started out with good intentions, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and God looks at the motive. So when you say something, um, yes, God looks at the motive, but also, too, to the words that, you've, that, that came out from out of your heart. And um, God always, always looks at the heart. One of the Beatitudes in Matthew says, Blessed is the pure in heart, for he shall see God. Yeah, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, even with the heart being deceitfully wicked, the Bible says, we can still, our hearts can still be pure before, before God. Yes, always. The Hebrew word for perfect is tamin, and that means whole, sound, healthy, complete, having integrity. That's what perfect means. So it's not so much God wants you to have a perfect heart, but he wants it sound, healthy, whole, complete. In the Bible, the heart is considered the seat of life. It's your spirit. We're not talking about the, the human organ. It's your strength. It means one's entire emotional nature and understanding. That's the heart. You know, our heart, this heart, was never intended to carry and endure great distress, sorrow. Um, it was never meant to endure and carry all of these uh, heavy traumas rejection, injuries, wounds, and bruises. The heart can endure a lot, but even in the natural, your natural heart can only sustain and take so much. Why? That's why the cardiac wards are filled in the hospital with heart attacks, heart, cardiac arrest, all of these diseases and things that afflict the heart. God wants our hearts healthy, and our hearts, God never intended, when he perfectly made us uh, perfectly and whole in the beginning, our hearts were strong and healthy. But in life, you may say, well, life just happens. But God never intended for these things to come upon your heart, to overwhelm, to burden you, almost to the extent where some people just want to check out. That's, 
that's such a, a violation of life, of, of robbing somebody from their God-given, uh, from long life and good days. But yet people, some people live their whole lives like that, from one crisis to the next. And it seems like they've just gotten over one wound, and then something else happens, and then they're, they're wounded again. And, and God, God never intended that for man. Never. If your heart today is fragmented, if it's bruised, if it's crushed, if it's been embittered or offended, if it's just in, if it's shattered in so many pieces, and you've been trying your best, getting up every day, and, and just pushing and praying and asking God for strength, but if that's you, if you fall in any of these categories, Jesus can heal your wounds of every shattered heart. And he wants to heal your heart today. He does. Jesus can heal the wounds of every shattered heart. Luke 4.18. You can turn there if you want to. I'll be reading out of, um, actually, out of the message Luke 4, 4, 18 says this, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy. Can you imagine going through such tragedy where it just crushes your heart? I know a lot of people today. I know Lahaina people. I know upcountry, some in Kihei have been literally crushed. Their hearts have been shattered, fragmented, and they're trying their best, living day by day, pushing it to the extremes to get up and just keep on going. But their hearts have literally been shattered. Did you ever drop something that was precious to you, something made of glass or something breakable, something crystal? break it on, on the floor on cement, and you watch it break in hundreds of pieces. It, well, it shatters. It's fragmented. There's no way of putting it back together. It's, it's, it's broken. But when your heart is fragmented, when your heart's been shattered by tragedy, by loss, by, by things just of this world, by life, even intentional hurt, He's the healer of the broken heart, of the shattered heart. Jesus will and can heal again and again and again. He's the master surgeon. He can go in with that Holy Ghost scalpel and, without, and give you the anesthesia of joy. Inject you with joy. <laughs> so you're laughing. And at the same time, you're laughing and flowing with joy. He takes his Holy Ghost scalpel and he starts doing surgery on the inside of you. Cutting away that which doesn't belong there. Cutting away tumors. Cutting away growths and things. Cutting away and putting back some things that were missing. And then he takes the oil and the wine. And he takes the oil. And he just soothes it and pours it over your heart. And he mends it. And he bandages it lovingly. 
in only the way Jesus can, without you even knowing. He can do internal surgery on you. And you'll get up and go home and, wow, I, I, I feel different. I feel great. Even being on the Lord's operating table. It's nothing to be afraid or scared of. People, when you come to church, even young people, when you come to this church and the power of God is moving and the Holy Spirit is moving in a way, don't be afraid of that power. That's his power. It's not something spooky or weird. God is here. The Holy Ghost preeminated. He reigns here. And, and when the Holy Ghost moves, it's your help. It's your restoration. It's, it's for your healing. It's for your, for your good. And you don't have to fear that. When, when the Holy Ghost, when Jesus heals, some people will say, I feel a heat, I feel electricity. Some say, I've never felt warm honey. Uh, some people have felt that, I've never have. Uh, some people experience, they'll say, I feel a bit of electricity. Some don't experience anything. Doesn't mean that you're not healed. But when God heals the heart, which he wants to, some of you may have come in this morning you look happy, praise the Lord during greeting time. Hey, you know, you're hugging and loving on each other. And your brothers and sisters couldn't guess. They wouldn't even have a clue unless the Holy Ghost told them. They discerned that she, her heart is broken. See that man over there? His heart is shattered because of life circumstances, because of what they went through. We have an island full of people in that condition. We do. We do. Their hearts have literally just been shattered and broken in pieces, not just because of loss. And, you know, we don't need to get into all the detail, but of the letdown, the abandonment, the cast aside, the feeling like, you know, refugees in your own island, in your own state, forgotten, they're not forgotten. God sits on his throne, and he has not forgotten these people. And some of you may even be in here today. God has not forgotten, and he wants to heal your heart. He wants to, and he, and he shall. He shall. The Hebrew word for brokenhearted is leb shabar, and that means broken in pieces. A heartbreak or a heartache that is so intense, causing great emotional stress of a great loss, deep longing, and pain. Yeah, broken in pieces. You know, in Isaiah 61, 1, it says this. Jesus says that he would bind up or bandage the wounds of the brokenhearted for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'm going to read to you out of message, out of the Message Bible. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, giving them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, Messages of joy instead of a languid spirit. Renaming them oaks of righteousness, a planting by God 
to display his glory. Now listen to this, and this is for Lahaina. This is for you Lahaina people. This is from the Message Bible, Isaiah 61. They'll rebuild the old ruins. Delta, Taniala, they'll rebuild the old ruins. They'll raise a new city out of the wreckage. Oh, yes. Amen. Amen. They'll start over on the ruined cities. They'll take the rubble left behind and make it new. Hallelujah. This is in the message. I didn't just add those words in. They'll start over on the ruined cities. They'll take the rubble that is left. There's a lot of rubble in Lahaina. And they'll start over, bring, bring beauty from ashes. Hallelujah. You know, people, you've heard it said, you may have even said this. I've heard this said so many times at funerals. Some people have even said it to me. They said, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time doesn't do anything. <laughs> time doesn't heal no wounds. Jesus heals wounds. Jesus does. Time doesn't do anything. Just prolongs it. Maybe some other events happen, you know, to where it fills things up to where you're not thinking about it so much. Time is not a healer. Never was, never will be. There's only one healer, and that's Jesus. That's, that's our Lord. That's Jesus. Hallelujah. Only Jesus can truly heal all, all the wounds. Yeah. You know that there's that account in the Bible about the Good Samaritan. Man's on his uh, way to his destination, and some robbers see him. And they attack him, and they beat him up roughly, almost to the point of death. The Bible says they stripped him of his clothes and left him bloody, half naked, probably naked, in the street. Took what belongings he had. And the Bible goes on to say that as he was laying there in the road, a priest went by and seen the man. How could you not miss seeing someone like that, you know, on the road? And, and the priest looks at him, just keeps walking. A Levite comes by traveling on that road. Man's still there, but can hardly move. The Levite sees him, does nothing, because he knew the type of man that he was. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, had a hatred for one another, and knew by law, I don't know this man anything. I don't, you know, so he just walked on by. But here comes the man, the good Samaritan. He sees this man on the road. And out of a heart of compassion, it says that he took ointment. He cleaned the man up. He put some clothes on his back because the man had no clothes on. He was laying there naked in the street. He bandaged up his wounds. And he put him on his donkey on his carrier. So that means that this, this sick man, this man that was battered and beat up, was on the animal, and this man had to walk. So he's pulling the animal, and this, and this man is on, on the uh, donkey, takes him, walks all the way over to an inn, and he tells the innkeeper, whatever it takes to take care of this man, I'll pay you. And he gave him two days' wages 
two days' wages. And then he said, if that's not enough, when I come back, I'll pay you. I'll make up the difference. Didn't know the man. Didn't, this man probably was so out of it, so distraught, didn't even realize, but nursed the man back, back to health. That's, that's true compassion. That's the heart, that's the heart of Jesus. Yeah, and, and that is something that, um, that the world, world really needs. And the church is supposed to be that way, pouring out the oil and the wine over those that are completely broken. You may not come across somebody bleeding and naked in the road. I've seen, I seen um, a woman a couple weeks ago like that. I was coming out of the mall with my granddaughter. It was a very large woman, and she was pushing a, a buggy. She had some things, and no less homeless, completely naked. And, and the security from the mall, there was four or five of them. They're all on their walkie-talkies, and they're all laughing and hissing and making fun of her. And, and she wasn't in her right mind. How could you be to come out like that, you know, without any, any clothing on? And she's mumbling and grumbling, and she's cussing, and she's swearing. And Joy goes, Baba, look at, look at that lady. She don't have no clothes on. And I said, honey, you know, I said, Let, let's just pray for her. Let, let's just pray for her. And, um, and yet those, those gentlemen, well, I don't know how gentlemen they were, just making fun of her. And, uh, and I wanted to call the police department and just have them come and get, take her to shelter, take her somewhere where, you know, she's not going to be hurt or abused or anything. But there's people, my point in telling you that is, there's people out there like this, even on our island, you see them. It may not be a common occurrence, but my heart went out to her. And when I got back in our car... Um, and I can say this honestly with all my heart, had my granddaughter not been with me, I would have went up to her and approached her and tried to help her. You know, aren't you taking a chance? She, made, she was a very large woman, woman. She was about 400 some plus pounds. She was very large. But thinking of my granddaughter, and I didn't want to put her in the car and then leave her there and go to this woman, but I, but I, would, have went, I would have went to her. God knew, knew that. I would have. And so we just, we just prayed for her. But there are, women, there are people today in our society, in this island, that, that need that compassion, that need that, even though they're spewing out. You know, they're not in their right mind. But doesn't the Bible say perfect love does something? There's something to perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. That woman was probably full of fear. God only knows how much she's been ridiculed and put down and rejected and on and on and on. To get, I thought, what would cause a person bring them to a state like that in their life? You know, just, um, you know, just horrendous. But nevertheless, just to tell her, Jesus can heal. Jesus can heal your, your broken heart. Amen. But anyways, um, and, and truly... Jesus is the only one that can heal these wounds so that he don't just bandage them, but he makes it brand new as if they never existed when Jesus heals. You know, sometimes when you get a cut 
And you know when it starts healing really good, because the body can heal itself, and you start picking at it, and it's festering, and then you can reopen that wound, and it starts bleeding, then it's got to reheal. The body, the way God made our bodies is remarkable. It's magnificent. You know, a lot of our wounds can heal of themselves. But there's an area I'm talking about today, the heart. And as much as you try with all the therapy books, with all the, the help from men and women, well-meaning, even in the religious area, you know, your pastors, mentors, men and women of God, to an extent they could help, but none, none can heal like Jesus. None can totally heal and bandage that wound and speed up the process to where you feel brand new. That's, that's what Jesus does. And everyone says, amen, amen. Just want to make sure you're still with me. Um, I want to talk to you in John 8. <clears throat> in John 8, we won't go over the whole account in verses 6 to 9. Talking about the woman caught in adultery. We all know this story. This is one of my favorite accounts in the Bible, along with the woman who poured the oil on Jesus' feet at the house of Simeon. Um, so this woman, she's caught in the act of adultery and openly exposed, accused, and sentenced to death by stoning. That was the law. So here this woman stands in this open courtyard, wherever. Bible doesn't say how many people, there's thousands of hundreds, but I'm sure that they were all ranting and raving. They all had their stones ready and just were waiting for the, for the green light to go and stone her to death. Can you imagine this woman's shame and her disgrace being openly exposed like this? You may say, well, yeah, she, she deserved it. She got caught in sin. Hold on, wait a second, just wait, wait. Yeah, she may have sinned, but... The humiliation, the shame, the disgrace, that alone in itself was, was uh, I think, a greater punishment. And so it goes on to say that um, the people, they go to, to Jesus, and then they ask Jesus, what would you do? And they're trying to trap him, trick him. Jesus, what would you do? Because the law says this. And they're waiting for Jesus' um, answer. And, and the scripture says, and I always wondered about this. It says that Jesus started drawing his finger in the sand, right? It, it, doesn't it say that? And, uh, and in Jeremiah 17, verse 13, listen to this. Jesus wrote in the dust to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy that those who forsake God committing spiritual adultery will be written in the dust. All of her accusers, this, all of these women's accusers were guilty of having forsaken God. And yet they were the very ones that were so anxious to stone her to death. The same finger that wrote the Ten Commandments in Exodus, the finger of God, also wrote the names, and listen to this, also wrote the names of each of the accusers 
in the dust. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I was like, wow. Each of the accusers, their, Jesus was writing their names in the dust right in front of their eyes, pointing to their hypocrisy. They all sinned. Maybe some of them even had relations with this woman. But yet there, they probably had the biggest, heaviest rocks ready to throw it to her. And, and Jesus looks up and says, let the first one among you without sin cast the first stone. And then the Bible says again, and then he started writing in the sand again. John Doe, Isaiah, writing all these names, Isaiah, so-and-so, all these names by word of knowledge. <laughs> Jesus is writing all these people's names in the dirt, all of them accusing her not knowing how stained they were themselves. Jesus was doing this. What a savior. What awesome. I was like, Jesus, I just love you. <laughs> just love him. Yeah. Thank God Jesus was the one that came to this woman's rescue and not somebody else because who knows, they may have you know, gotten stoned too. But I'll tell you, time and time again, Jesus steps in and just by his very words, he just shuts the mouth of the enemy, turns the crowd away. They start dropping their stones one by one. And who knows? Nobody, not one of them that carried a stone maybe came back and said, Oh, oh, I see, oh, I see my name there. Oh, Joe so-and-so, oh, he's in there too. They were all written in the dust. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's our Jesus. And so she looks up and, and Jesus said to her, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't, I don't see any. They all left. They're all gone. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. What a Savior. What a Jesus. Always, ah, he says, I never do, I never say or do anything that I don't see my father say or do, getting instructions directly, pipeline, downloading from the father to him. Father's probably given him their names because the father's looking upon the heart. Jesus, drawing the name. Writing his name too in the sand. And yet... The deceitfulness of man's heart. You know, there'll be people, and we, we may know of some too. You ever hear of, you know, people that will, um, uh, when somebody has done something wrong, kids do this all the time in school, and sometimes it could be humorous, but it's still wrong. They do something wrong. They do something bad or they break something. And then when another kid does something, they magnify that so the blame is off of them. And then they're pointing to them. Oh, but he did that. He broke that. But what did you do? Meanwhile, what they done was a greater, you know, a greater offense, a greater thing than what that other child does. But man will always try and put the blame on somebody else, magnify them, build their wrong up, their wrongdoing, to make them look lily white. And meanwhile, they're just as stained, if not worse, you know, with their own. But God looks down from heaven, and he writing their name in the sand. Yeah, Jesus was. That's, you know.
that's, uh, that's remarkable. In Jeremiah 8, the 8th chapter, verse 18, you can just listen. It says, Oh, that I could find comfort from my sorrow, for my grief is beyond healing. My heart is sick and faint within me. Verse 19 goes on to say, Behold, hear the sound of the cry of the daughter of my people from the distant land of Babylon. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king within her? Is not Jesus in this house today, in this church? Because Zion means church, the house of God. Is he not here today? It says, is not her king within her? Is Jesus not within each and every one of you here today? Verse 22 goes on to say, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? So why then has not the spiritual health of the daughter of my people been restored? Is there no balm in Gilead? Well, Jesus today is the balm of Gilead in the New Testament. That's the good news. He's the balm of Gilead. The balm of Gilead, it originated in Gilead, had miraculous uh, healing properties, and it was sought after by all that all knew about it. In fact, when the Queen of Sheba visited Solomon, amongst all of the things that she brought King Solomon, all the riches and gold and and um, just spices and things, she brought him the balm of Gilead because it's it was just priceless, sought after, and it wasn't a common it wasn't a common balm, and even today it's used with myrrh and it's treated to treated for a lot of um, illnesses and ailments like indigestion, arthritis, inflammation, and so on and so forth. But the balm of Gilead in that day had tremendous healing power. And it grew in that region of, of Gilead. Gilead also was the birthplace of, of Elijah. So, so Jeremiah is asking, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician in the house? Well, we know differently here at Faith Family Maui, don't we? Yeah, we do. Malachi 4.1 says, and the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go forward and leap joyfully like calves released from the stall. Amen. Amen. In Genesis, Hagar was heartbroken after Abraham sent her away and Ishmael. They were outcasts. In 1 Samuel, Hannah, we all know the story of Hannah. She was barren, couldn't have children. She was grief-stricken besides herself. Her heart unfulfilled to become pregnant, but we knew that God turned that around and answered her, and she became with child. 2 Samuel, Bathsheba had a broken heart after her husband Uriah was killed in battle at the hands of David, King David. Genesis 37, David not David, excuse me, Joseph. Can you imagine being sold out by your own family members, your own brothers and sisters? Joseph was. Can you imagine how heartbreaking that would be? He was right there. 
they didn't put a sack over his head and tie it to where he couldn't see who was doing it. It was his brothers. They conspired. Only Reuben, his older brother, said, no, no, let's rethink this. Let's not kill him. You know? But they ended up selling him into slavery. And we know the whole story and how God redeemed Joseph. But at that one point, Joseph's heart, even though everything that he endured, went to prison, accused falsely and whatnot, he kept his heart right. Then came the day when there was a famine in the land and his brothers came to get grain and they came to Joseph and he already was in position, second highest seat of authority in Egypt and his brothers come before him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him, but Joseph knew who they were. And when he seen them coming and they started talking in their, um, in their original uh, language, their tongue, Joseph understood what they were saying. And the Bible says that when his brothers walked in to the palace and they approached him and they were talking amongst themselves how what they did to their brother. See, they thought that he was dead, that they killed him. They didn't know what had happened to him. But anyways, they were talking and the Bible says that when Joseph seen his brothers, his heart was breaking. He probably couldn't take any more. And so he got up from his throne and he went in the back and it says that he just wept and he wept. God was healing his heart right then and there because of that hurt. All these years, all these years, he carried that with his family, his own flesh and blood, not seeing his dad. He loved his father. His father made him a coat of many colors and living in that lie that he was dead when he actually was alive. Joseph suffered tremendous heartache, heartbreak. But oh, but Jesus, God, how he restored them. Read it, the story. Most of you have already read it. It's in Genesis 37. The restoration and the healing is just, you know, it's, it's miraculous. It's like none other. Job had everything taken from him including his sons and daughters, they died. Everything, all his cattle, all his belongings, at the approval of God. God said to Satan, you can sift him, you can, you can do this to him, but don't kill him. After all this was done to Job, did Job, God, no. The Bible said, Job fell on his knees and he worshiped God. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. Picture that, church. Get a picture of that. Getting word, his, his wives, his sons, his daughters, the cattle, everything is gone. Everything is gone. And the devastation and, and just the trauma of that and his heart just consumed with, and Job refused to curse God. And so he falls on his knees and he finds refuge in worshiping God. Whew. Boy, but that's some good instructions there. Those are some really awesome instructions. If you can, you know, because most people, when they would go through such a horrific, some blame God, some get angry at God, some go like this at God, they accuse him, they do other things, they backslide. But how many people would actually worship? Worship. Yeah. I know you were worshiping him.
when you've seen your house burned down to ashes to the ground. Holy Spirit spoke to this family, spoke to her and says, I'll make it all new again. Start all over again. Start new. Start new. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus is the healer of the broken heart. And he's the only one, truly, that could, that could mend. And he wants to heal broken hearts this morning, today. He does. And, and your part, your response is, you just, have to, you just have to respond and allow him. And he does it ever so gently. Like I said, he, he does it to where he'll give you the oil of joy for mourning, and he'll give you a new heart, like that song that we sang that Reba Rambo wrote. He can make a perfect heart. Not perfect to where you never sin or you never do anything wrong from this point on, but a sincere heart, a heart that's after God, a heart that, that David had. So without taking any longer, I'm going to open the altars up. And, and, and church, this isn't just for women. I know a lot of men that have broken hearts. I know a lot of men that have gone through horrific uh, situations and things. But men are supposed to be made of steel, right? Men are supposed to be tough like men and not cry and not show it. But your heart is just as fragile as anyone else, just like a woman's heart. So this call is not just for, for women. It's, it's for men too. It's for anyone that has a broken heart. If your heart has been shattered, fragmented, just broken in pieces, then today's your day. You belong down here because the healer is in the house with healing in his wings. Male or female, teenager or child, whoever that may be, this message was designed just for you, specifically for you. Now, if you, have, if you had a little rejection, all of that. Maybe you suffered a little setback, but I'm talking about those that, whose hearts are bruised, those that have been abandoned, rejected, uh, outcast, just that whole category. This is, this is for you. This is for you. And so um, Jesus is here. Jesus knew when he gave me this message that there would be people, and I say people more than one, that need um, their heart healing from brokenness, from a tragedy, from um, a wound that just won't heal by itself. So if that's, if that's you, and Jaime, if you could play um, by his stripes. I just ask you to come now, to come forward, and we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Release the power of God over and upon your life. He's the mender of broken hearts. He, only Jesus can see what you go through. Only Jesus can see how that has affected you and how it's 
prevents you from being whole. Jesus just wants you whole. He's so wonderful. He's so wonderful. And so, so the you that you've come down, well, what's my part? You just receive. You just receive from him. That balm of Gilead, like Jeremiah said, is there not a physician in the house? Is there no more oil? The balm of Gilead? Of course there is. We have something better than the balm of Gilead. We have Jesus himself, the healer. And he's come to heal. And that's between you and him. Your heart, what you've experienced, what what you've just won't go away. Won't go away. He wants you whole. He wants you whole. Jesus' name, Jesus, you're the healer. You're the healer.